Okay. So there's a man named Ezra Taft Benson. Okay. Um, Who is that? So he was the Mormon prophet um, during, like, right after World War II. Okay. So he was a farmer from Idaho who um, studied politics, studied all that thing. He was actually an admin, like an advisor in the Eisenhower administration. He was the agricultural secretary of agriculture. Damn. Okay. So he was high up there. That's pretty important. Yeah. So this was like for the Mormons, this was a big deal. Right. Right. Nobody had ever done that before. Nobody had ever had that prominent position like that. And Mm -hmm. so he was tasked with rolling back a lot of the, the FDR, you know, reforms in agriculture. Hmm. So basically taking away subsidies from farmers and people hated him, like Yo. despised him. He was not a popular dude. Right. Okay. So um, basically one of the reasons he wasn't popular, he was part of the anti-communist crusade. Hmm. Um, kind of the red scare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was um, part of the John Birch Society. Great. Do you know what that is? You seem like you have some recognition. That was definitely there. a sarcastic grade. Yeah. So tell me, tell me what you know about John Birchers. To be honest, they're not good. Not good, <laughs> right? So John Birch Society, for people that don't know, it was started in I believe the 1920s, and it was named after. No, it's the 19. Anyway, it was started in the early 1900s, right? Right. It was an anti-communist movement that was. Um, afraid of a communist takeover of the United States. So they're kind of responsible for the Red Scare. They're mm. responsible for a lot of the things. Um, do you know who J. Edgar Hoover is? Yes. He had a lot of similar sentiments and paranoia. Okay. Word, word. It also, as American history always does, it corresponded with racist views towards black people, right? Mm-hmm. So Ezra Taft Benson was so far out there that people just couldn't stand him, right? right? He accused Dwight D. Eisenhower of being a communist. Fancy. Dwight D. Eisenhower was a staunch Republican. He rolled back a lot of like the reforms from the New Deal, you know. But yeah, so it was the, about as far from a communist as you can get. Yes. Imagine, but imagine. So Ezra Taft Benson mm-hmm. had a pulpit and millions of listeners. Right. Imagine the most popular podcast being like an anti-communism podcast and everybody believing that podcasters words were like the word of God that they had to follow. It reminds me of a <laughs> few people in modern society that I, but we're not going to get into We're not going to say their names because fuck them, right? Yeah. We don't, so, we so don't this guy had, them. had quite the platform and he had quite the, um, the ideology. Yes. And so he thought that Martin Luther King Jr., he thought that he was a communist. Okay. He thought that there was a communist takeover. So he hated the civil rights movement. Hmm. Right. Just wow. suspicious of them. And he said this in church at the biggest pulpit that Mormons have general conference. He came on and said like, this is a communist front. This is a takeover. Do not believe on any of this stuff. Hmm. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can definitely see how that's problematic as well. Yeah. Right? Do you want to hear his words? I mean, you know, you know what? Take me back. Take me back to what the uh, early nineteen twenties. This was not. This was the nineteen sixties. Oh yeah, because okay, a great, great, great. Okay. So this is his words about the civil rights movement. Yes. Okay. Cool. Then yeah, take me back to the sixties. Okay, I'm taking you back. Okay. 
There's no doubt that the so-called civil rights movement, as it exists today, is used as a communist program for revolution in America, just as agrarian reform was used by the communists to take over China and Cuba. 1967. Okay. okay. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. And I mean, during the time, wasn't this like, wasn't this the Cold War? Or close yes, to very. It? Okay. Very. And so I can understand the, maybe even this person's desire to go from an angle that, you know, gets him followers, that gets people in his circle. Like, I can understand the desire to want to do that, but to actively do that, that's a dick move, bro. Yeah. Here's okay. here's another person speaking um, at the same time. Right, right. Uh, this is Delbert Stapley. This is 1964. And who is Delbert Stapley real quick? Just a racist motherfucker. Just a piece he, of he shit. He was okay. one of the top leaders of the church. Let's put it that way. Oh, and a leader of the church. One, the, at the top, at the top. Fantastic. Okay. I fully agree the Negro is entitled to considerations as stated above, but not full be- social benefits nor intermarriage privileges with the whites. Nor should the whites be forced to accept them into restricted white areas. In my judgment, the present proposed Bill of Civil Rights is vicious legislation. Wow. So this is right after, this is the stuff that basically gave us rights as people of color. Right. And so this, not only is it just like outright racist, right? Like Very (laughs) outright racist. Like intolerant towards people of color, but you said that this person is also a member of the church, right? He's the top brass. He's the guy who makes the policies, who says that he's speaking for God. Right. So this is God's voice. And so I just want to reiterate that, again, not all people of the Mormon faith believe this type of thing, but we can see how quickly that Mm -hmm. type of rhetoric and idea can be spread among the congregants who can then spread it to their children, who can then... So on and so forth. So one of a, a good example of like people, not everybody kind of um, believing this stuff is Mitt Romney's dad, right? Who he was the governor of Michigan, and he was he was in league with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Like he was in league with that movement. He helped them, you know. I believe he attended some of the rallies in the South. Ooh, word, word. Yeah, so he was on the front lines, right? Um, so there was people like him. There were other people. Unfortunately, they got silenced. By these people, you mm-hmm. know, demoted from their positions or whatever, um, people directly speaking against them in general confidence kind of feeling. Yo, okay. Right? So it was kind of a sit down and shut up, motherfuckers kind of feel. Wow. Okay. Yo, that's that's pretty fucked up. Um, Very so, fucked up. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that you mentioned the civil yeah. rights era because I was reading an article um, called... Uh, Shades of Belonging, and I can't remember exactly who wrote the article, but it was from the uh, Social Sciences Journal special issue, Mm -hmm. um, Immigration and White Supremacy in the 21st Century. Um, And it was saying that uh, between 1790, when the first immigration law was passed, and Mm -hmm. 1965, uh, when civil rights, um, white supremacy preferences have been featured regarding immigration, um, i.e., U.S. immigration law implementing policies that harbor explicit exclusion for immigrations whose ethno-national background is not white. Hmm. And so um, it's pretty shitty, right? And so following the uh, modification of these policies, uh, criminalization and stigmatization of immigrants who happen to be non-white becomes more implicit, causing a limitation on people who feel like they truly belong in the U.S. And so... 
Yeah. Yeah. And so- I have personal experience with that because my grandpa was recruited to come over from the Middle East um, mm. by his professor who had ties with BYU. Right, right. And he felt isolated the whole time while he was here. The first time he ever like set foot on BYU campus, like the first week, mm-hmm. he lit up a cigarette in the cafeteria and they kicked him out. <laughs> <laughs> so he transferred. Okay. Yeah. But wait, so even though he had ties to BYU, they still made him feel isolated or he just felt that way? He felt that way, but Hmm. I mean, they didn't tell him, hey, don't smoke here, you know, kind of thing. Um, It was just kind of that strings attached kind of thing. Like, we will be um, charitable. We will be accepting of you as long as you do what we say. Right. And there was this, um, what is it, like, keep sweet and something. Yeah, Pray something, and like obey or whatever. Some, something like this. I'm, I'm not yeah. entirely sure the uh, the quote, but it it definitely helps to uh, perpetuate a a community, a sense of just shut up and do your work, basically. Yeah. Um, and so, however, even though real quick, even though Utah is primarily a conservative state regarding politics and their faith, um, they have adopted some policies that are favorable towards immigrants and refugees. Yeah, um, being being like a sick, uh, Salt Lake City, um, which is primarily a non-religious city um, right, po- right. politically, you know that's where all of like the ex-Mormons hide out, basically, um, <laughs> real. a sanctuary city for not deporting immigrants during like the Trumps, um, kind of his, you know, the raids, basically I want to call them of deporting people. Right. Salt Lake kind of said, "Nah, we ain't doing that." Word. And so even before then, um, in the early 2000s, I was living at the Heartland Apartments and uh, there was the it was shortly after the Somali refugee crisis. Yeah. Right? And so we had a lot of colored people coming to live where we were living, yeah. and, you know, in these apartments. And so it was for one, like now that I'm looking back, I'm saying that, you know, it's I think it was beneficial that Utah does accept, you know, or modified certain policies in order to be favorable towards immigrants and refugees, because um, that also gave me an opportunity to bond with them and Mm -hmm. be like, okay, well, freaking our ancestors were freaking they came over here for completely separate, like completely separate reasons. Right. Yeah. And so similar reasons, though, I'd say similar reasons. Sure. And so, I mean, they didn't want to be here. Right. And so I'm I'm grateful and mindful of that. And so I don't want to say that Utah is all bad because it's not, you know, but there are definitely some some issues around that. And so the two of the prominent dimensions regarding inclusion and exclusions um, of immigrants are, again, race and LDS lead or not leadership membership. Yeah. Um so it's it's unfortunate, but sometimes uh, whiteness is perceived, and and again, this is from the article here, uh, the shades yeah, of yeah, belonging. Yeah. Um, whiteness is perceived as both the racial norm and the preferred racial group in Utah, and and I want to comment on that. Yeah. How can you perceive it otherwise? Like being being like a just based on the scriptures we've read, based on the talks, you know, the the two hundred year discourse. Right. How could you believe otherwise? You know, it's just kind of. You know, I'm not defending these beliefs that people have, but it's just kind of natural course that if you have this kind of racist pop- propaganda taught to you from small child, this is what you're going to think. Yo, that's and that's true because and it's unfortunate, right? Because as children, 
children don't get an opportunity to choose where they're born or or their environment at all. No. And so I think that's why it's imperative that, you know, we continue to raise children in an environment that's not harmful towards their well-being, towards the way that they perceive other people just because they look a little different. I'll Um, tell you kind of a story. Interrupt you. Sorry. Um, My first day of kindergarten, this is going to make me kind of emotional. I came home crying because I didn't know there was a difference between people. Hmm. But people said, oh, you're not, you're not white. You know, you're, they called me black, but, um, they, yeah. And so I looked in the mirror and I'm like, is there a difference between my, I didn't know, you know, so kids aren't born like knowing this stuff. They're taught it. Right. And that raises the biggest point of all. Children are not born racist. They are taught racism. Yes. So let's, um. Let's be mindful of that. And let's try not to teach our kids to be racist to other yes. people. Like, there's there's no point for it. Like, my mom told me that uh, she said skin color is like wrapping paper. Like, everyone has a different present that they can bring to the party. And so yeah. I thought it was I thought it was really, um, really insightful. Yeah. Um, but again, the, to, to be clear, though, uh, many Utahns are inclusive. Mm-hmm. And the LDS church is willing to and has accepted congregants from many ethnic backgrounds. I am proof in, of that. In the last few decades, um, which is great. I think it's, it's progressive, um, especially if they're wanting to have membership. I think that, you know, expanding this opportunity to people who are, you know, of a different color, quote unquote, I think that's great. Um, however, many other members report additional experiences of exclusion, yeah. um, such as Christina who witnessed the youth of her congregation, they were sitting, you know, one side, one color, and the other side, another color, with the space in the middle of the kids with no clear reason as to why there was a division. Ooh. Right? And so if we're putting children in this predicament, let's say let's say this is true, right? Because mm-hmm. someone said that they've went through this. Um, what do you think... The kid, what do you think the kid's implicit thought is, right? When we say that, okay, I'm sitting over here with, with Billy, Tommy, and um, Georgina, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and then on the other side. Jorge you know, and, you, you know, know, all those kind of right, people. And on the other side, you know, is Jorge, Daquan, and, you know. Adam. <laughs> and Adam. You know, the Japanese one. Yeah. They, so. Yeah. Um, I would say they think it's a joke. Maybe they're not aware that that's like racist Hmm. or they think that that's okay. You know, I've experienced many similar things, you know, um, growing up, I was constantly misidentified as Hispanic, you know, Hmm. cause I'm, I'm darker because of my, I, like I said, I have a grandpa from the middle East and then my dad's side came over from Japan. So, you know, um, mixing of cultures, yo. Um, but I, I, I will say I present as darker Hispanic to some people. And so I got a lot of discrimination growing up, both against Japanese people and Asian people. Hmm. And then just for people perceiving that I was Hispanic and making comments like that. Yo. Yeah. That's rough. And so I, I'm sorry to hear that you went through that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that, that brings up a really good point, you know? And so for many immigrants, um, if you have affiliation with the church, sometimes, you know, it's beneficial for you. Sometimes you'll be able to, you know, get into certain avenues of comfort, so to Mm -hmm. speak, regarding like societal living, getting your house and these types of things. But for many of them who don't, 
there's like an automatic feeling of social exclusion and mm-hmm. and this can happen in an array of settings right like yeah like not just at church but like if you're in the neighborhood you notice that you know these neighbors are interacting with each other but they don't come and see you or yeah sometimes and so my my mom's family so my parent my grandparents split up you know right. and so there's this it was this my grandma's white and so she was raising my my uncles they're dark very dark and my mom's you know got a dark complexion and my grandma would get stuff like that all the time like why you are these like your who are these kids you know kind of feeling like why are you mm. why are you raising them and in the church context my parents they were mistreated you know for that just being dark not fitting the status quo they grew up in one of the richest communities in Utah as poor people, poor people of color, you know. That sucks. And it was just isolating. And then and then isolating on top of that. Yeah. Like, that's hella fucked up, dude. Yeah. Um, and so we're kind of talking more, you know, the kind of some of the social pressures that led to the lifting of the quote unquote ban, you know, that all members could have the same priesthood like all male members could have the same Ooh. priesthood you know okay and so wait so there's yeah. a lifting so then at some point black people could hold the priesthood so they can now hey hey they, they did a, a thing that they're supposed to do a long time ago okay. way after they're supposed to so let's wait. not give them too much credit so wait when um, did this lifting ban thing happen 1978 <laughs> so the wait <laughs> martin luther king jr was dead at that point <laughs> oh my god so it was 1978 when the when it was officially okay officially okay 1978 wow that doesn't seem like too long ago it wasn't and my, my parents were alive okay, um but let's let's uh, let's clap yeah. for the fact that they did it yay pat on the back for not being completely racist for you know yay. um so let's talk about some of the pressures because they did not do it willingly Oh, so no, they, <laughs> okay, they, so they, they <laughs> society basically had nipple clamps on them and tied to a battery, yo, electrocuting them like, like you better do it, like you better do it, you know, kind of like the yo. toy box killer type shit. Okay, um, wow. So it took pressure for them to lift the bag. Pressure. So some of the pressures, right? Let's go. The BYU sports team was getting garbage and shit thrown at them. Like le- like legitimate garbage. <laughs> like legitimate garbage. Wow. People refused to play them. There were black athletes who put on like black armbands to play against BYU. Wow. In protest of them. Nice. Right? One of the biggest pressures was a lawsuit by the by the NAACP. Let's give another clap for the NAACP. They um, first of all, they threatened to boycott or uh, protest in the general conference. So general conference is when all the prophets, quote unquote, leaders get together and they tell you the word of God and they broadcast it. So the NAACP threatened to protest, like demonstrate in the 1963 general conference. Nice. Yeah. So like, yo, we ain't fucking around, bro. So they did that. Another thing was there was a lawsuit against them because they were discriminating against the black boy and the boy scouts you know they threatened wait, to sue the boy scouts of america wait 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 so so was it the church or was it just the byu both it wasn't byu this was okay. the church okay so, the so church, church sponsored sue. so the church was running a boy scouts of america 
troupe in Salt Lake City in okay. 1970s, right? Okay. And they excluded a black boy from it. So the NAACP was going to sue the church and the Boy Scouts of America. Oh. Right? That makes more sense than what I understood before. Yes. Another instance of this was they met with Jimmy Carter, the the prophet and the leaders, and he roasted the fuck out of them. <laughs> he he roasted roasted, I, I hear tell that he threatened to take their tax-exempt status. Ooh. I'd have to look that up, but I think that's what happened. So he put a lot of pressure. So these people did not go willingly. Okay. Right? So it was a whole fucking, like, we're trying so hard to maintain our racist agenda, but you guys are, like, yes. making it really difficult by suing us and making us jump through all these hoops. Yes. And so there's lots of, like, quotes. You know, we've read enough quotes by now. But um, basically affirming the priesthood ban is the word of God in the 1960s, leading up into the 70s, and then afterward, you know— Flipping the situation. Like they said, the discourse basically up until that point was, this is the word of God. This is how it is. You know, we've asked God. He said, no. Um, The prophet. The prophet's English. I asked God. He said, no. I I talked to the big man. I talked to the big man. He He said, no. He was like, nah, nah. Y'all can't have, nah. No. Maybe next quarter. You know, you're going to get that raise (laughs) kind of feeling. Yo. Okay. So. That's my cat. That is a cat. Um, So. Basically, um, I mean, if you believe in God and if you believe in like the word of God, God had to be threatened to be sued by the NAACP. So power to the NAACP for bringing this shit about. But (laughs) stronger than you thought. So prior to 1978, some of the things that they did to kind of enforce this, they would not if if you had like an ounce of suspected like African descent in you, they would not baptize you. What? (laughs) <laughs> so in South Africa and Brazil, missionaries had to verify that you did not have black ancestry. Wait, is this after lifting the ban? Before. Okay, before okay. lifting the ban. Okay. So they would not – they had a lot of people in Brazil that – because Brazil is a Christian country. There's lots of Mormons in Brazil now. Right, right. So the missionaries would have to verify through visual tests that you weren't black. So hold on. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. So you mean to tell me. I can be in Brazil. Well, at yeah. the time, I could be in Brazil. Yeah. Be a Brazilian person with dark colored skin. Dark colored skin. You. Okay. Tell them that I'm not black, even though I may have been maybe a quarter black. Or I'm even just, an eighth or, or whatever. Even, even an eighth, right? But but my but my hair is like hella curly, right? You know what I'm saying? So I'm just I just tell them like, nah, I'm not black. Will they do like the whole family history thing? Or do they yeah. Oh, do they, they do will it like try. They will spot? try. <laughs> they will try. Oh, shit. And uh, okay. in South Africa, newsflash, there's black people there. Whoa. That's their land. Wow. And Surprise. they did that same thing in South Africa. Okay. Hold on. Yeah. So, hold, holding on. So you yeah. mean to tell me you're going to bring your your belief to South Africa and then say if you're black – you can't be in here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. These this is the worst salesmanship ever. Like, uh, yeah. The I mean, if how many more people could they have had if they were just like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll have some more black people in here. You know what? Fine. You know what? C- come on in. Like, how think, many more Mormons so, would there have been? Seriously. I think the Mormon church would have died off. You think so? Just based on, like, social acceptability. 
Hmm. You know, everybody around them, you know, the churches were becoming more progressive and inclusive after 1960s to, to an extent, you know, right. They were holding on tooth and nail to preserve their white identity, to preserve their whiteness. Hmm. Because like we said, in the book of Mormon, whiteness signified the will of God, the, the righteousness, you know, right. Um, there was a guy who, his name's Douglas Wallace. He was excommunicated from the Mormon church in 1977 for baptizing a black person in a swimming pool. Wait. So he was excommunicated for baptizing somebody. A black person. Right. Specifically a black person. But he was excommunicated from the church for ostensibly bringing another member <laughs> into the church. That was black. So okay. here we go. Here I'll, I'll lay some fun. Excommunication is serious, especially in like that time when the communities were small. Yeah, yeah. Like there was, there was, everybody the, knew is Mormon. It was the equivalent of being shunned. Like Yeah, yeah shunned, like, unshunned, reshunned. Go, go to the fucking mountain and stop talking to everybody. You lose, so you, you basically lose your salvation, hmm. you know, until you come back into the fold. Wait, hold on. Yeah. So, wait, you lose yourself. So let's say you are born into the faith. You are a great man, a bishop of the faith. Yes. Right? You baptize a black person. Yes. Let's say it was a year before. Okay, let's say it was 1977. It was 1977. Even better. Mm -hmm. So you baptize this black person (laughs) as a bishop of someone who has high regard, someone who knows they're getting however many planets, someone who knows that they're, you know, they're set. God said, I'm talking directly to the man who's on your right. And he says, you're good to go, brother. You're a great bishop. So you're like, you know what? I'm going to baptize this black person. Because God is good, and so is this faith. Come, come here, brother. Ooh, get baptized. And then, <laughs> and then at the end of the baptism, you got to go. Like, you got to get the fuck out of here. And then next year, it's like, bro, it's Wait, fine. never mind, never mind. Come back in. <laughs> Wait, never mind, bro. Come back, come he, back. He got grandfathered in, basically, is what I'm saying. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. But he didn't. He got, you know, I don't think they ever let him back in. Wow. But maybe they did. I don't know. This is, gets even funnier. He knew this motherfucker knew that he would get excommunicated. He did it in protest of the policies. Okay. See, that makes it a thousand times <laughs> more understandable. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. Okay. I'll so, um, like we said, you know, there's some social pressures and there was some word fuckery after the ban was lifted. So, hold on. Word fuckery. You know when... George, or not George Clinton, <laughs> Bill Clinton mm-hmm. got caught, you know, banging a girl in the, the White House or whatever. Oh, well, what is the word is, is, or exactly like that. that shit, man. <laughs> so I'm going to read you uh, kind of some of it. Okay. So this is by one of the top um, officials in the church at the time that the ban was lifted. Okay. And this guy was a staunch believer in the ban. Like he was, some of the quotes we read were from him. Okay. 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 So he says, forget everything that I've said or what President Brigham Young or President George Q. Cannon. So those were like in the 1800s. So forget what those 1800s leaders said. Okay. Um, or whomsoever has said in days past that this is contrary to the present revelation. We spoke with a limited understanding and without the light and knowledge that now has come into the world. So he... Jedi mind trick the motherfucking <laughs> the yeah. fuck out of us. <laughs> so he basically says, um, the leaders of the 1800s and you know up to this yes. man were 
operating with limited understanding or limited knowledge or what did you say it was? Understand light knowledge. So basically like they didn't know better. So, so they didn't know better. They were saying, as we've read, this is the word of God. This is how it is. God ordained this up until the 1970s. And this guy has, I can, we can quote him saying similar things that God ordained. This is the word of God. Mm-hmm. He turned tail and just kind of said, oh, never mind. Oopsie doopsies. <laughs> right. And so I'll say that from the humanitarian aspect, I'll say that as a whole, as an entire globe, perhaps, like we, as a globe, we were like, oh shit, racism is wrong. Slavery was wrong. Okay, fuck. Yeah, yeah, we were a little, we were maybe wrong about that. Maybe that's what he was trying to say instead of just like, oh, we apologize for everything. Like, I- I'm about to cut the legs out from under you. Sorry. No, you're, no. And so, <laughs> you're warning. And so my, my thing is, I, I'm trying to give someone the benefit of the doubt because I I don't want to believe that I mean innately I don't want to believe that someone is usually operating with ill intent but as history has shown us time and fucking time again ill people, intent people do that all the Everyone. time you know what I'm saying all the time and so just trying to you know trying to trying to give benefit of the doubt and I'm gonna splash some water on you well here. let's go okay. splash it so this guy um his name's Bruce McConkey okay. I call him Bruce Cock, McCock Stompy. I'm going to just call him Bruce. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you do you. Okay. So this is a book that he had circulated called Mormon Doctrine. Mm-hmm. This was taken out of print in 2010. Okay. okay. So just. This is what it said in it. Right. The Negroes are not equal to other races where the receipt of certain spiritual blessings are concerned, particularly the priesthood and the temple blessings that flow therefrom. Well, this inequality is not of man's origin. It is the Lord's doing, and it is based on eternal laws. Mm. So this man was saying that forget everything we said, you know. When did when did he write that again? It was in the 1960s, but they left it in circulation till 2010. Oh, so they're kind of they're kind of putting their foot in their mouth. They're kind of going back on it. Yeah. So it's 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 a public appearance of that, you know, but. It took till 2010 to take it out of circulation. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. That's an interesting fact. So any, any, like any altruistic interpretations of these guys we have, we can kind of throw them out with their own words. I mean, effectively, right? Yeah. Because these are the things that people are saying. And so it's, I'm I'm glad to know that not everyone subscribes to that same type of racist doctrine. Yeah, not everyone, but there's still people that but, do. Uh, agreed. There's a lot of people that still yeah. do. So, um, kind of some other responses to the priesthood ban that kind of show me that it was a business decision. Um, so the Utah legislature is predominantly LDS, of course. Right. It's like nine. I don't know the exact. I'm not going to give out a stat, but I would have to say like most of them are. They did not ratify MLK Junior Day until 2000. Wait, <laughs> hold on. So we were alive. Right, right, right. I right. I was in fucking school when this happened. So yeah. You mean to tell me like didn't we on a national level? 1983, Ronald Reagan, wow, Republican God, signed that. Into legislation 1983. Utah legislature, like 1999, 2000, about. Like, they called it Human Rights Day because nobody wanted to call it MLK Day because of these teachings, because they thought that he was a communist, like, 
um, mm. infiltrator. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So I see how that's problematic as well. Yeah. So there, um, there was racist wording in the Book of Mormon that was changed. Guess when it was changed? Uh, in nineteen. 19- Nine, no, I'm going to say 1980 after they lifted the band. You would be wrong. Okay, well. 2010, <clears throat> right? And the wording that was changed was with the color of, you know, kind of the white and delightsome and about be- people being cursed, some of their the skin color, you know, wow. they changed it. Well, at least they changed it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to give them any credit for that because the reason yeah. they changed it is because it looked bad. Yeah. And honestly, dude, I just, again, I think that people who harbor these thoughts are, they can, they, they present a real threat to the well-being of our society. Like the type of people who think that it is the will of God that this other person is inferior to you because of the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. Like that, I think the I most have a problem with that. I think the most insulting part of it is the deception of, oh yeah, we care about you, mm. and then behind the scenes, like taking till 2010, for example, to change wording that is obsolete in like the 1960s. You know, yeah, like it just shows. It's like if you catch your spouse cheating on you. You know, and then you find them on Ashley Madison or whatever later after telling, I will never cheat on you again. And then you find, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Or if like you tell your, you tell your puppy, right? Like, Hey, we're about about to go to the park. Yo, we're going to the park right now. We're going to the pound. Then you take them to the pound and then you're like, oh shit, wait, we're at the pound. No, let's let's take you to the park. Remember the park? Yeah. Let's go. Let's go back to the park. There's a park, but it has fences around it and we're going to leave. And yeah, you know. It's, it's, it's kind of like that. The deception is that pisses me off. Yeah. It's just, I don't know what to say about that, man. It's terrible. And yeah, that's what I think is so wrong with man. So if the word of God is, you know, righteous, if it is, you know, mm-hmm. if it is set, um, man's interpretation has really done a lot. It has really done a number on You know, some, sometime I'd like to meet this Mormon God, like just sit down, have a coffee with him or a beer or something. He must be a he, really... He might just drink water. Or, yeah, probably. Or maybe some juice. Juice. Probably juice. Grape juice. Because you can't drink wine. Grape juice is delicious. Okay. I'd like to sit down with him and ask him, why did you change your mind so damn fucking much? Like, <laughs> <laughs> why did you, why, why did you take the, you know, like mm. if you love the universe, if you love the kids that you created, Why? Yeah, and so of course this isn't a this is not a religious episode, but and this is just really speculation at this point. But I mean, yeah, what I'm saying is, you know, I grew up believing this that this was God's will and stuff, Mm. but it seems like God's afraid of the NAACP. So props to them, man. Props to the NAACP. (laughs) I think it's man. Power to the people. I think it's man who's afraid of the NAACP. I know. Um, I'm just, I'm just speculating for the sake of the the conversation, you know? Yeah, bro. I I see what you're saying though. So yeah, go ahead. No, you're fine. Okay. So we're going to get into more instances, modern instances that happened maybe like this year of 
kind of that backtracking, saying that, oh, no, this was really God's word, right? So um, one, so there's a BYU, like, professor of religion, which I don't know how you become a professor of religion, because that sounds just, I don't know. Um, he was trying to explain the ban in 2010, I believe. Okay. Or 2012 to um, a reporter. And he said, God has always been discriminatory when it comes to whom he grants the authority of the priesthood, says Bot. The guy's name's Bot. Bot compares blacks with a young child prematurely asking for the keys to her father's car and explains that similarly until 1978, the Lord determined that blacks were not yet ready for the priesthood. Um, he says, what is discrimination? I think that is keeping somebody from something that would not, would be a benefit from them, right? But what if it wouldn't have been a benefit to them? Bot says that the denial of the priesthood to blacks on earth, although not in the afterlife, protected them from the lowest rungs of hell reserved for people who abuse their priesthood powers. You couldn't fall off the top of the ladder because you weren't on the top of the ladder. So in reality, the blacks not having the priesthood was the greatest blessing God could give them. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's how, how do you feel uh, so, like as a black man, you know, just hearing that, like people think that about you, that you're, you're not like ready infantilizing you, you know, taking your power away from you. I, th I think about this sometimes. Um, it's not only annoying, not only is it patronizing, um, it's, it comes again from this, from this racist mindset where we say, Hey, I know more than you do because you aren't ready because you have the color of your skin. And I think this really boils down to like, you know, way, 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 way back in the day when we started taking slaves from Africa, right? Like the fact that we didn't speak, you know, the queen's English and we operated differently. Um, it could, some people may have interpreted it as, you know, guys are savages or you guys are ignorant or whatever, not understanding the cultural nuances of the people who you're about to bring over to what will mm -hmm. soon be North America. Um, and I think that having that mindset being rooted in these more modern times saying that, Oh, they, they weren't ready for the priesthood because God said that, you know, the, the black man is like, uh, a child wanting to get their parents' car keys. And I don't know that God has ever said that. Because, well, but <laughs> again, God would be a very interesting person to talk to. This, right. this concept and of so, God. And but, so I, yeah. I, I think it's patronizing. I think it's wrong. Um, not only do I think it's wrong, I think it's fucking, like, it, again, it's fucking racist. Well, the concept, and this was in like 2010s so that he said this. The idea is that black people are morally inferior, not capable of following the, the rules of the church, you know, kind of feeling so i want to i think this is an episode that we're gonna have to do later but i i, I want to talk about like why is it that black people in america are seen as you know culturally inferior or whatever the case may be right because we had our culture literally stripped from us as we had to come over here to america and yeah. then on top of that we had a bunch of different entities trying to profit off of the black culture or the even work now. of even still to this day. But again, that's another episode for another day. But I, I'd say that to say we as colored people, well, I mean, black people more specifically in the U S you know, we had to build our own different, we had to build our own culture. Mm -hmm. Whereas the people who were 
you know, colonizing and these types of things. They they already had their culture already well baked in. They just brought that shit over here. Yeah. And now they're saying, hey, y'all are wrong. Y'all are infantilized. You guys are savages. You see that even in responses to the Juneteenth um, holiday in Utah. Like there are some cities that refuse to celebrate it. You know, the cities in my neighborhood, like the next city over, Great. they didn't have a celebration. Cities in Utah County, they didn't, they refused to celebrate it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's fucked up. Um, yeah. That's definitely another episode. Yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> okay. So here's another one. This happened this year. Yeah. Okay. So this guy is Brad Wilcox. He mm-hmm. is a professor at BYU and he has been preaching this for years, right? So he's trying to be loving. He's trying to be kind of offer a kinder perspective for God, but he comes off as an arrogant prick. Hmm. Okay. He says, maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe instead of saying, why did the blacks have to wait until 1978 um, to receive the priesthood? Maybe what we should be asking is, why did the whites and other races have to wait until 1829? Which is kind of through Joseph Smith, they believe that the power of God was restored on earth in 1829, right? 1,829 years they waited. Why did the Gentiles have to wait until after the Jews? And why did everybody in the house of Israel except the tribe of Levi have to wait until whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. When you hear that, like, wh- wh- what what's your thoughts? I actually read that. Uh, quote last night as I was just like getting prepared for this episode and Mm -hmm. I saw I ran across it and I'm like this sounds like the same type of rhetoric where we say oh hey you just need to be grateful for what you've got stop complaining um and I think that too is racist and fucked up it comes from a sense of superiority where it says oh hey oh hey I was I was generous enough to open up my pockets after immense pressure from outside organizations as we've and entities. As we've established very I, well. I was generous enough to open up my pockets or open up my organization so that a few of you or however many of you mm-hmm. um, can come in. So you all need to be grateful. Sit down. Shut up. Like it's. He, he does go there too. He said we should be grateful. Mm-hmm. And for me, like reading that and hearing it, because I'm very familiar with this guy. I've read a lot of his books um, back in the day. It just feels like unaware of how ignorant and racist that is. And he apologized, quote unquote, like he said, I'm sorry to the black people, whatever. But then he went back and he's still giving these talks. He's still talking about this stuff, you know? So it's like, it's like a slap in the face, you know? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a narcissist apology. Yeah. I'm sorry you took it that way. I'm sorry you felt bad about what I said. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, (sighs) Yeah, I feel like there's so many issues with that. Yeah. But as, but I must, as a human, as a social worker specifically, I have to give some sort of credit for someone saying, hey, I was wrong. At some point, for whatever reason, for however shitty the justification. So whatever credit can be given for that, boom. But there's more discredit in the notion that someone who's of a different color than you must sit down and shut up and be grateful for their opportunity, not considering the history that brought the person there in the first fucking place. Yeah, for sure. And um, there's other instances too. Um, So the black students at BYU spoke out a few years ago about their treatment of on BYU campus and feeling marginalized, feeling, you know, out of place and feeling just 
not accepted there. And this was like the late 2010s, I believe. Wow, wow. And so it was on the news and they talked about it in public. But like they were talking about being called racial slurs. They were talking about being called all those things in the 2010s. Yep. And so I think with all of these things, with conservative media, kind of there's the justification of uh, basically saying like, oh, well, you're just calling it racism. This isn't really racist. You're just calling, you're being sensitive, you know? Mm, nah. I mean, and perhaps, perhaps that's the narrative that's being spread. But if we exercise um, disdain, if we, if we harbor disdain, if we, you know, discriminate against someone strictly and solely based on their ethno, their ethnic background, that's racist. Yeah. I'm just telling you the justifications I've heard from it in church. Right. And, and, and just from someone who's not of the church. Um, and again, I, I know that you're now also not of the church, but I mean, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. To say the least. It seems like with the modern church, you know, they've tried to kind of backpedal, you know, Mm -hmm. they've made some changes, but maybe update, maybe update, update, back, but whatever, you know, (laughs) right. But it seems like at the end of the day, they always shoot themselves in the foot. Mm. So I'm going to read a quote. And this is like from one of the prominent leaders who's kind of um, talking about the church's response. He says, anyone who claims superiority under a father's plan because of characteristics like race is morally wrong and does not understand the Lord's true purpose for all of our father's children. So that's good, you know. Wait, when did this person say this? So I, I pulled up... Pulled up the wrong quote. <laughs> no, you're fine. But I mean, he said this in 2017, right? 2017. Okay. Is this also a person of the Mormon faith? Yeah, this is their leader. Great. One of their leaders. Well, like, then he should... I hope that he's acknowledging the fact that, you know, the white skin doctrine... He did not. Yo, because that's specifically what he should be talking he about refused, as well. they, they, they kind of re- refused to take responsibility for it completely. Like How convenient. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, it's... it's So, um, they have talked about... Okay, this is another quote. So, how grateful I am that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has from its beginning stood strongly against racism and any of its malignant manifestations. From the beginning? Yeah, that's what they said in 2000, right? So you have, like, with every single step forward, you have people walking it back, walking it back, Mm -hmm. because they need it to be the Word of God. Sure. If it's not, if if they acquiesce, if they kind of crumble to that pressure, then what does that say about the Word of God? Like... You know, so that's where they're coming from. They're fighting on the last hill, you know? Right, right. So they're, yeah, it's just, I don't know. And we're talking kind of about like, because we want to give people credit, you know? We want to talk about, we want to give people chances to change. Um, But I don't know how they can change. I don't know what they can do. Like, that's why I left. (laughs) You know, I left because there was nothing there. Was, I, I came at an impasse and you knew me during this time in right, college, right. like right after I graduated, I left. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, there's no, the cognitive dissonance was so much. It was affecting my mental health. It was affecting everything. Um, my relationship with other people. I could not, I could not see a way to bridge the gap and be a true believer. Right. And so, I'm, I'm sorry that you had to deal with all that, man. But um, speaking of bridging the gap, like I'm sure that there's 
plenty of members who say, oh, hey, this type of thing, you know, that that's not okay. You know, we, we shouldn't be doing this with, you know, the, the people of the faith who want to be, you know, they want to be a part of this. Yeah. So a lot of members, you know, they find this objectionable if you talk to them about it, because mm-hmm. obviously we've evolved as a society, most right, of us. Right. Um, and so there are a lot of members who are tolerant and kind and accepting and the hate this kind of stuff great but because god said it at some point you know there's some some cognitive dissonance about you know they kind of bury their head in the sand so to speak from this stuff they kind of say like well well that's the past we shouldn't talk about the past we shouldn't dwell on the past you know Hmm. um there's leaders who you know because they recognize if they go back on their word completely then that undermines their authority so they say things like we don't know why God did that or God's word is God's word and God's leading this church. So let's just shut up and stop asking questions. Do you think, do you think that cognitive dissonance is necessary in order to maintain membership? I'm biased, but um, yes. Like if you, if you know this stuff, if you know just how wishy-washy the history is, how infused with racism it is, you kind of have to come up with some sort of explanation like, oh, well, we don't, we won't know until after we die. Hmm. That's one I hear a lot. Or we shouldn't try and explain God because he works in mysterious ways. Right, right. You know, unless you want to be a racist fuck. <laughs> right. Some people are just fine with this. You know, there's a group on the internet called, called the Desnats. Oh, great. They are, so Deseret is like a term in Utah. It's just, it's hard to explain. Deseret Nazis. No, not na- they, they kind of act like Nazis, oh. but it's nationals. So they are pro-national. They're pro-Mormon. Oh. Um, they're pro. They make memes about killing gay people. They make memes about killing non-believers. They make make memes about executing like prominent ex-Mormon um, speakers and stuff like that. Hmm. And so it's That's like it's it's, it's like um, the Proud Boys basically. Oh, so it's like the the Deseret. Proud Boys. Yes, because they, they, they tote guns and they believe in guns, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing like we discussed in our episode, but they are just an ultra-nationalistic group hmm. on the internet. Word. So, well, yeah, it seems like people I want to stay away from. Yeah. Probably. I've interacted with some of them and it's just, it's awful. It's exactly what you would think it would be. Yeah. It's like, it's the equivalent of getting like your tooth pulled without any like... Novocaine or anything. It's just no anesthesia, you know. Um, but, yeah, we're talking about kind of, you know, what the church can do. What can, what do you think? As an outsider, as a black man, what would you what would you accept as reasonable, like, not restitution or reparation, but just, I don't know. I think, as someone from outside the church, um, I think what would be, at the very least, reasonable is to have, you know, many members echo the notion that, hey, you know, we are growing, we have, you know, fucked up in the past, Um, but even more so, I mean, outside of, you know, wanting to bring in more congregants, right, because that's, you know, we we get more members of the church, Um, being involved in community organization and what i mean by that is 
and I'm, and again, I'm sure that the LDS church has plenty, plenty of uh, avenues that they use to, you know, charity and donations and these things, and they help people immensely. Um, but I feel like going into communities who, you know, are perhaps like standoffish or don't feel like they've been, you know, treated well by the church or like some immigrant families who feel like, you know, they've, they've trusted in the church, but they feel isolated or whatnot. Just like having a community freaking like barbecue or something like, oh, hey, where's all the people in the neighborhood who who do freaking like yarn work you know what i'm saying like who where are the musicians like where are the people who are you know construction workers where are the people who like work mm -hmm. in call centers or whatever the case may be and not specifically to gain membership but just to be like oh hey like you know we're we're here you know we accept we we accept that maybe we had something a little skewed in the past but you know that brings up an interesting point okay so they have worked with the NAACP recently, like last year. Okay. But the NAACP said that's a great like line, like, mm -hmm. but you ha you didn't apologize basically. Like sure. <laughs> they rejected the apology. Basically, it's like we'll we'll take your apology when it really means something when you take responsibility. But until you do that, you know this is just words. Okay. And so, yeah, having I guess the church apologize publicly. Yeah. So they have edged on an apology they have edged on those kind of things mm -hmm. but again because they can't give up the locus of control because they can't um undercut the, the the word of god you know they'll say something and then another leader prominent leader it seems like it's almost orchestrated will come out and say well it's still god's word you know and we don't know why kind of thing so every time they start to apologize they backtrack Mm -hmm. So, which is why I mentioned having multiple leaders, you know, like many people who are saying, you know, this is our apology. We, we fucked up as a collective. And so those who were saying, oh, well, actually it's the word of God. Like, uh, n no, because, you know, elder, this said that elder all down the line. Yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> sure. And sure. And yeah. so I'm just, you're, you're asking me as an outsider. I know, I know, I, would, I know. And I just feel like that would be a pretty, it, it would be great. Idea. That would be great. Right. Right. You know? Um, I've got some stuff similar, you know, issue the public apology. Mm -hmm. uh, something they can do is rely more on voices of color within the church. Um, and more like we talked about, do good without the bottom line, you know, without kind of ulterior motives of converting people or, you know, they're, they build church, they build like schools in Africa, which is good, mm -hmm. but it's heavily infused with like, pressures to join our religion kind of feeling do that without the join our church thing do good just you know right, i right. think that can help a lot to repair their image oh i think so as well you know like just being there for the communities that are helping to you know when they go to the churches and they tithe right like because mm -hmm. maybe they're just there with their friend and they just so happen to also tithe while they're there like you know as the plates pass around i don't know if it's passed around or more it's it's like not that, that quite like that hmm. it's more like an expected contribution for your full membership work so yeah like people who even you know don't even understand the religion that they're joining into but someone said hey come in come join the faith so they sign up they have their membership they're paying their 10 percent, whatever but if they don't go to church then mm -hmm. that person is still getting the money that this member is not getting the benefit of yeah right yeah so as we wrap up here, you know, 
was a deep dive. We obviously probably offended a lot of our listeners, which I'm not going to apologize for because we needed to talk about this, you know, like the need to be talked about. But why do you think we needed to talk about this topic? Because um, there's a lot of people who like to believe that racism is no longer existing. Um, it It is. It's still alive and well today. Um, sometimes it's more subtle and implicit in in its presentation, but it's something that still exists and something that we still must discuss, um, even in Utah. Uh, I did... Even in Utah. Even in Utah. That's a good, it's a good, like, qualifier. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think, like, talking about this stuff is important because it's not like we're trying to destroy the Mormon church, you know? It's more like we're trying to make Utah a better place for people of color. As social workers, one of our missions is to advocate for underrepresented groups, marginalized groups, you know? Um, and not having this conversation, I feel like we're doing a disservice to people. Right. And so I think that for those who are of the faith and who are understanding and wanting to be accepting of, you know, the struggles of the colored person in Utah and the U S um, we thank you. We appreciate you. Yeah. Um, there's some great people, you know, that are on the front lines doing that already and props to them. You know, they're kind, they're empathetic, I feel like they should know about this stuff, at least if they're going to, you know, interact with people of color. For sure. 